Hi guys, and welcome back to You're on Crackmate, the podcast where we delve into films, television series, and whatever takes our fancy, really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on Crackmate. This week, there's a very special person joining me. He's a filmmaker, a writer, a content creator, a snappy dresser, one half of Trek Yards, and he's the 543 in Power 543. And this evening, he's my guest. Samuel Cockings, thank you so much for joining me this evening. How are you? That's a great intro. I'm good. I'm coming off a filming high from yesterday. It's both very tired and, oh, that was cool. So I'm a bit of a weird frame of mind, but it's probably kind of good for this. So, yeah. I I totally understand. And I'm going to ask you all about filming now in a couple of minutes. Yep. Um, so, but just really quickly. So we met through, so Star Trek, you ever heard of it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that thing, yeah. So, um, I think pretty much anyone now who's listened to this episode will will know that we probably we met through our interwebby type connections because you have an amazing, incredible channel called Trek Yards, Thanks. and you are an amazing, incredible CGI artist. I mean, <laughs> good lord! Oh, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've worked hard on that. Yeah. Well, no, it you know what, and it shows. It absolutely shows, um, and. What I would like to do is I'd like to ask you kind of how you got to where you are and also what you're doing now and also just a little bit just about yourself because you're bloody fascinating and I want everyone to know all about you. I have had a varied life from doing Romans to doing TV to Star Trek to Stargate to conventions to celebrities to, yeah, a bit varied. (laughs) Filming nightclubs, you know, all sorts of stuff. Where do you begin? <laughs> Filming nightclubs sounds like there's probably a few stories in that. I there is say. a couple. Yes. <laughs> I even filmed a, a rich 21st-year-old's birthday who was very rich, and that, that, that party has some stories that I will probably not be able to tell in any form of X-rated PG. Just It wasn't that bad. I, that, that conjures ideas, but it was not what I was expecting. But, you know, rich kids and all that. I mean, I won't like. I already like the the writer brain in me is yep. churning now. Just like, all right, yeah, I'm thinking my super sweet sixteen. These kind of things, you know, you know, pulling up in the stretch Humvee, that kind of stuff. Well, imagine being 21, having an open bar for oh. you and your 50 friends in your in your garden with a pavilion because your family's rich and a full open bar. I think they said they went through like 85 bottles of wine just in that one bar. Mother of God. <laughs> Uh, I, I, like I don't know whether to be impressed or afraid. Both. It was great. <laughs> it was great. It was. Uh, and I was sober as all as all hell. It was. Uh, I've had some odd. I've had some one-off gigs through, through my uh, through my employers. It's kind of funny. Pre Trek Yards, obviously. I'd be <laughs> Commander Cock is gonna go film nightclubs. Hey! I was. I was. I was wondering, like you know, kind of like and great. And and when did the Star Trek element of the twenty first <laughs> kick off? No. Um, I mean. That's, <laughs> Was that all? That was all before Trek Yards. That was before your car. Okay, great. Yep. So, so when did you know Commander Cockings? When did that happen? Mm. So that was the fourth year, fourth year of university, which was the two years after Temporal Anomaly, which is how I rekindled my Star Trek life. And that was in twenty twelve, and then fourth year, fourth year of university, I was I was in in this house and I was editing some of the CG for that. So I thought was the final CG. <laughs> yeah no <laughs> but I remember I was doing a tile sequence and I was like oh it's exciting and I was watching uh, YouTube because boy I need that you know a lot of stuff I do is tedious it's fun but tedious fun and I'm sure as an editor you know so having some especially photoshopping or doing something that doesn't involve sound YouTube podcast on the other monitor lifesaver 
I was going through things and bobs and, and you know, one thing stuck out to me. It was uh, a weird guy. Well, I say weird. A guy. Well, I say a guy. It's Captain Stuart Foley uh, of pre-Trek Yards and he was doing a Wrath of Khan review. And I'm, I'm, I know a lot of things about a lot of things and I was pleased with the stuff I didn't know. Um, and so I subscribed and then I, he was doing away mission vlogs, which is him holding his phone while he walks. And I, you know, again, yay, some new source of content. So I watched a couple of those. Um, and I said it was his birthday in like four days. And I was like, I am sick of looking at this Sovereign class. Because <laughs> I'm, you know, it's not, go it's not going anywhere fast. It'd be nice to do something different that isn't, you know, the same shot list for a year and a half. Great. So I made this hymn style sequence and sent him as a present because his channel was amateur, as, as we all were, we all are in our own mm -hmm. ways. And it, I thought it would add something special to it. And I thought I'd appreciate it. So I made that and he loved it. And then uh, months went by. And then I don't remember who approached who, but he wanted more tile sequences. Slash, I said, well, well done for his channel. It grew a little bit. And then we just didn't stop talking. And then for some, I still don't remember why. <laughs> for some reason, we went on Skype, on my phone, on his laptop. And we talked about making a show. I don't know what made that impetus. I, I, I always say in this when I tell the story, it was fate. Because why the hell do we have that conversation? Why did that start? But we did, and now six years later, and we have this this interesting legacy um, to show for it. That is that is like that's wonderful how it came together, kind of bit by bit. But also, it just started with you just reached out, and you guys clicked. Oh God, yeah, yeah. And we've we've had. I mean, it's a, it's an amazing sort of friendship where three years in, we hadn't met each other in person, and about two or three hours in, it felt like the absolute normal. Which was amazing, and it, it clicked right away. And we have had no arguments to speak of. Uh, and and like Doug Drexler, who's designed the NX01, he, he gets to the point when he's friends with you that he insults you. That's that's a level of friendship. And Stuart's always been on that level with, with Doug and, and with me as well. And so, you know, him insulting me, I take nothing of it. Like, you know if Stuart's going to insult you, he's actually going to insult you. The rest of it's just him being him. And it's fun, you know, it's all good, so... Um, no, it, it's amazing the partnership we've 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 brought actually. Um, and you look at a lot of the drama from people and YouTube channels. It's just like, where is this coming from? And we're just like, six years, it's all good. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Do, do you know, like I I I'd love to say it's unique to oh, it's, oh we Star Trek people we don't fight. Yeah, there, there's a lot of YouTube drama out there. Every mm -hmm. now and again, I'll be twittering as I'm wont to do, and I'll be like, oh, what's trending today? I don't know who this person is, but it sounds like something very exciting has just kicked off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's very rarely Trek related. I will say that, mm. um, which is which is nice. So, so you're working together on Trek Yards, mm -hmm. and you've you've made your BFF for life. <laughs> I, and, I think so. <laughs> well, it, it kind of kind of sounds like it. it's it's like you know kind of you'll be uh, you know it'll be the last day of everything. You'll be lying down. They'll all be crying around you. He'll come up and go, oh, you look dumb, and walk away. And that's friendship. Yeah, I mean, we we both joked our kids will take over the mantles at some point. And just keep it going. <laughs> Trek Yards, the next generation. See, you got the joke before I had to make it. Boom. Excellent. <laughs> that's it now. Everyone dial the expectation of comedies back. That's pretty much as far as it goes with me. The peak uh, was early as it should be. Exactly, yeah. Um, so, obviously, I want to talk to you about your, like, incredible productions. Because... Like before, we were talking. I was looking at some of the the trailer for a uh, long way home, and did I did I did I get that a long right? way from home? A long way from home. Yeah, long way from home. Um, and first of all, I'm thinking now. I've seen your CG work. You've you've shown me some examples of your CG work, and I was like, yeah, 
Yeah, this is ridiculously good. <laughs> like, Aww. this is... And, you know, I n- no shade to Paramount or CBS, oh. but would you mind taking a swing at maybe some of the later seasons of Voyager? Because <laughs> uh, uh, I think you could do some good there, is all I'm saying. I mean, it, when you know what I know, and you know how doable that stuff is, and I could do a large chunk of it, it's, it's certainly frustrating. I'll, I'll say that. Um, especially as I know a lot of the models inside and out. I know the effects, is, you know, even the... It's amazing stuff. I work in the same software they worked in, Lightwave. So you start to see the same tricks, which is part of why I, I wanted to bring this to Trackyards, because if you render even fan models back then in the same software, the way the lights interact is the same. More modern computers mean more rendering power, but it is the same. And so what if they could create it in the 90s and then early 2000s, you could create it with the same software then it's up to the, the artist's talent to do that. And so I'm always thrilled when I can create a looks like the show because I've, I've captured that, that secret source. Now, I'm, I'm unfortunately blessed with the talent, but blessed or, or, or cursed by I can never see my work out of the CG world because I've built it over the course of hours, days, weeks. And so you all may see a lot of stuff I do is that looks like the show. And I only have so many moments of that when it's like that, I actually captured that. You know, there's one shot in Temporal Anomaly which has an, e, an Enterprise E shot. I'm just like, that could be from Nemesis. That I captured the lighting just, oh, and that's like, that is bringing it back to life. That really is. Um, and that's, I'm trying to make that my niche. You know, people, people are doing better CG than me. It's called Hollywood and Bollywood <laughs> and anybody who works professionally. But that's not the point. I try and recreate the vibe of the Star Trek look but give it that more modern resolution and a few modernistic lighting tricks, which are, I think, important. And so when you watch my work, you're being brought into the Star Trek world, not into the modern CG world, because, you know, the JJ films and Discovery, it's more modern, but arguably inferior in a lot of ways, especially artistically. But you look at Voyager, and some of those shots are beautiful, and they look better than Picard, but the 20-year difference. And that's, that's remarkable, and yet very objectively true. So if I can capture at least some of that old energy creatively in fan films, I mean, that's just living in the Trek world, isn't it? And I think that's better than it looking better than the Trek world, you know? I I think you actually, that's an incredible point you've just brought up there, especially about, and so say, say so take the JJ film, so we've got 2009. So um, still like, I, I thought, yeah, looks fantastic. Uh, but how do I phrase this? You you know this video. When you are aware, you're looking at CGI. Mm-hmm. And I was aware the entire time. But I don't mean... I, that sounds really harsh. I don't mean it to sound as harsh as it was. Whereas in some of... Some of later DS9, which I know had moved to CGI, mm-hmm. some of the shots of the Defiant are actually very, very... Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't realise that they were CGI. Some, okay, some don't age as well, but some are actually really, really good. Um... And so I, I get a little bit what you mean. Some of the shots of Picard, I mean, I'll be honest, yeah, it looks, okay, it looks really, really well. It looks, to my untrained eye, it looks about as close as you're going to get without actually making a physical uh, model. Um, and yet, I don't know, it's a bit cold, possibly. And it is sad. There's so many artists that work on these things. And that's why when we do our reviews of, of episodes or, or films or whatever, they're and obviously the new tracks when I mean, we review those on track yards and it's so important to look at each scene by itself because individual work when individual scenes and often individual shots so it's very unfair to say any episode is good or bad 
because you're simplifying it too much, or you can do a forced summary, and that's just more the overall vibe. Mm. But it's so spread out into artists, and some people spend, you know, I know people that work in the industry, and you know, spend twelve hours a day for five days in that one week road scoping out a guy's mole or whatever, you know, and that's that's work, that's work. But yeah. at the same time, if you don't have the artistry, not to say they haven't got artistry, but one thing that Trek always had. In, in the CG world, as in when they moved fully to computer effects, is that it was the same-ish two companies. And they started earlier in the CG world where they were the entire team, three to sort of ten people, and five of those people would be exclusively setting up the shots, designing them, then rendering them, and lighting them all themselves. And they were very good at what they did, and so they have all this understanding of knowledge. Nowadays, you have a pipeline, which is where you have maybe 15 people slot into how you produce a shot. And so it's it varies depending on the company and, and the amount of time you have on a project, but it's often rarer that you might have a real creative vision going through shots, even if it's maybe storyboards sort of moving in a direction. A lot of the artistry is being subdivided so many times, especially if you have 20, 30, 50 shots, or just get them out and done. You know, you can lose something. And I think Trek really harnessed, because those guys were passionate, really passionate, Enterprise are more constrained, and I think you can feel that in some of the CG stuff by the producers. Voyager, I think they gave a lot of a lot of love, and DS9, it was doing good at what it was trying to do. Mm. Yes, I, I, I hear what you mean there, because obviously, because DS9 was breaking an awful lot of ground on certainly Trek CGI, and I mean, for the late 90s, it looked, I think, probably about as good as it was going to look, mm -hmm. you know, unless you went into, say... Spielberg-esque levels of budget, you know. Yes, Jurassic Park looks better than The Sacrifice of Angels. No, these were not working on the same kind of wavelength. But also that was one dinosaur and that was a... Yes. I mean, one dinosaur, I say it with an odd caveat, but it is, there's a different workflow, a different level. You know, spaceships take a lot. One of my favourite bits of trivia of, the, of that battle, I, I'm picturing it as you say that. If you look, A, there's no registries on any ship except ones that get blown up. Because there doesn't need to be, which is weird. That's fair, yeah, you're right though. Because there's does that mean there's canon? There's a whole fleet without registries? N no, but that was they couldn't swap models out that efficiently. It wasn't worth it. And there's nothing going on behind the midground. They're all static models because they didn't need to put the effort in. So it's the the beautiful foreground battles, gorgeous. And you start to go back. So I did a conference on this actually. I did a presentation to in Germany for a live audience about the DS9 CG. I had a really look. I kept finding more and more hacks and tricks, which is, which is phenomenal. You know, you're not meant to look beyond the pale of, you know, beyond the pale moonlight of the of the frame. Um, <laughs> but it's it's one, but it still has all the things you need from a shot. It's telling the story. And you compared a lot of Picard shots. There's just so little going on of the story being told. Discovery varies massively. You know, different teams, different seasons, different people. I won't be as broad with that um, with their space stuff. And obviously, they've improved a massive. But you know, Picard was a weird one. Well, the weird one for space stuff. It, it it was a bit. I mean, I think it'll be discussed until the end of time. The uh, the copy and paste fleet at the end of the thing. I've I've seen the argument either side. Nope, this militarily makes sense. You know, actually they were doing a bit of a rush, and I don't know. I think the ship looks nice, but the sad thing is, if they only had ten ships appear, we would have thought, oh, that's a bit weird. Move on. And ten is still impressive. You know, by having more ships for both fleets, it makes a battle far less interesting. If it had been three ships on each side, it would have been far more engaging. 
And what I think is a great example of that is the end of Discovery Season 2. Personally, I think Such Sweet Sorrow Part 2, I think that's incredible. I think that's... Um... Now, how do you feel about that? I think it's one of the worst battles in Star Trek. And as I say, I think it's one of the worst battles in Star Trek, and I'm glad that we agree with that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you, you literally can't have a hundred drones that never that there was never a tech they had launched from the Enterprise shuttle bay that can fit two shuttles. Like, you can't... There's literally no space. And Discovery Launch launches more than 20 shuttles. It can't handle more than 20 shuttles. And what's the point in having drones if they get destroyed? And what's the point of having nine capital ships, which each individually are stronger than Discovery because they're Section 31 ships and bigger? Why are they not even firing? The battle makes no logic. It looks pretty, but it's just noise. Um, kind of the same with the Orville mid-season battle. It's just more pretty noise. That's a much more choreographed noise. But that battle should have been three Section 31 ships, both main ships, like Nemesis, just a duke it out. Having drones made all the tension go away because you know no one's ever going to be damaged because... It's just hitting drones. It's, it's it was a it was a lazy use of lots of time because there was no. It's weird. Capital ships, guys. You've got photon top. You've got big capital ships. Use them. Why are you using thousands of crappy drones that don't have shields enough? It's very strange. Remind, it reminds me almost of think of it as a, a naval battle, and you've got two aircraft carriers, yep. which is what these two have become. Yep. You know, versus and then you're sending a load of Spitfires against the others. Well. You've got really big cannons. That's a really and good And you outnumber point. them three to one. And all your ships are more powerful because they're the secret special ships. And they're all being controlled by one AI that can make them all do the exact same... Con- you know, uh, there's no um, d- there's no delay in strategy. So mm. if all six are shooting at one point in one of your ships, it'd be at the same time, at the same yield. Like, perfect strategy. It's a nonsensical battle. It really is. And it gave me a lot of uh, dismay, dis- dismay for Michelle Paradise's abilities because it wasn't a very well-thought-out two-parter, but they had to forcibly f- end a season that changed hands twice, so of course it was going to be a, a cluster F. Yeah. Season 3 is great in comparison. She did a phenomenal job in season I'm really proud of her, actually, because she raised the bar drastically. Um, good, good on her, you know. <laughs> no, you mean, like, you raise... <laughs> I realise I started this one. I love it so much, but no, you raise an absolutely fair point, because what is what is it that... I love about Sacrifice of Angels. I love seeing Galaxy Class take on a a Galar Class. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. This is what we've been waiting for Mm -hmm. since The Wounded. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is absolutely fair. But also, actually, do you know what? You're right because, again, at the start of Sacrifice of Angels, when all, like, you know, when the officers that nobody likes are assigned to pilot the attack fighters, you know that they're all, there is at least one living creature in each of them. They're not Mm -hmm. remote uh, mm-hmm. And yet, you kind of like, I kind of feel like we're sending our attack fighters. Do you mind if I ask why? Mm-hmm. Like, have they annoyed you in some way? Well, it's the equivalent of Sacrifice of Angels, but the entire battle is forty is, is one hundred and thirty Type Nine shuttles that all get destroyed, and you're thinking, okay, you know what I mean? Like, you know, the, 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 that great majestic being shot is just twenty four shuttles being shot at the end. The defiance just flying past. There's no tension, you know. Um, yeah, and it's no, funny. I mean, it was too much work. It was it was very odd. But they're, but they're, they're they're the kind of group that f- the, the discovery VFX team that, that more is better. But Star Trek. I mean, the fact that the Defiant is tiny was the impressive point. The Defiant didn't need to be twice size of galaxy to be impressive. They understood what that meant, you know. That's, do you know what, that, that, that's great, because if you think then of uh, sec- the Battle of Sector, Zero, Sector 001 in First Contact, and I, I always thought it was funny because 
we coming off DS9 going into this film, we know the Defiant is brilliant and can be battered to bits <laughs> yep. and everything. And I think, uh, apart from I think there was a, a rumour along the way that the Defiant was supposed to be destroyed yep. in this. And I was Stephen Bear said, uh, would you mind not doing that? They actually wrote it in, yeah. <laughs> there, there, were, there was a great shot that I thought, I, I thought it was potentially shady on the next generation's part, but almost mm-hmm. proves the point of DS9's part. And it's, as the Enterprise comes in and shows you the size difference between the two. I said, like, yeah, but Defiant was absolutely fine the next week, you know? Uh, yeah. Which I was like, all right, yeah, so it was, it was well, doing well. To be fair, though, smaller ship, less to repair. No, that's what I mean. Sorry, that's what I mean. In a good way, it's like, you know, kind of, yeah. <laughs> Defiant, right, she might not have destroyed the Borg, but the Borg didn't destroy her. Yes. Well, that, well and I, I, I had this discussion with Stuart on a, on a video. That battle is, is incredibly deceptive. Because if you watch, is, is, that's the most realistic looking battle in Star Trek, I think visually. And those lot, effects yeah. hold up. And I know those 3D models. I, I, I know them all. And they look better then than I can make them look now because ILM's doing it. That's magic. I have the model, some of them. You know, ah. But that battle is so deceiving because you it plays out as there's 15 ships, give or take, and Defiant is a, getting demolished very quickly. But... In the actual, I mean, the novel and, and the exposition of, of around it, that battle's like 22 hours or, or, you know, the Defiant's been fighting non-stop for potentially 10, 20 hours or some variant in between. Like, that's a long time. The fact that, it's not the fact that it was so damaged by the end that's unimpressive. It's that it was one of the last hundred, one of the last of the hundred ships to survive. Mm. And that when you get to this final, like, 10 minutes of the battle and there's 25 ships and there's only like six at the end, it's like... That's how quick ships were, were being destroyed, and the Defiant survived all of those interactions. It survived a lot. Doesn't make it clear, obviously. And the but- film, you're right. The film does. I would, I, if I could, if I had the connections and I had the money, <laughs> I would be like, right, everyone, get together, Sam, get the CGI. We are doing the full oh. 22 hour battle of Sector Zero Zero One because you know we would watch it. God. We would sit down and we would watch it in oh real God. time. And I'll be honest, I've I've had this this voice in the back of my head for what uh, twelve months now. Remake the end of Picard properly. It's because I mean I've got all the ships. I could do it in about a week with with like like the scale you'd want it to be, including you know, a varied Roman fleet. You know, but such a lot, such a lot of work. But I could do it, and it'd be really amazing. Um, and I'd include the Gen Hay because we've got a model of that now and, and you know, a lesser. So it'd still be a connective tissue, but it's, you know, that deserves to be seen properly. And I, I honestly, after seeing that live, I said to Stuart, I was like, I have enough faith in this team that they will put the effort in to remaster this for the Blu ray. They've got an extra six months. They've got all the ass. They've got, you know, because when you do in CG, you can set nulls where you can just copy and paste a ship and it'll swap out. So they could literally have swapped ships out and re render only the ships and save half the time. I had faith in the team to say this isn't good enough. This is an unacceptable level of quality. It would take us maybe a week more to put in another 10 ships. I had faith. And when the Blu-ray came out, I was... Tells you a lot. Because they should have gone above and beyond to fix a massive, a massive problem that they made. And the production made that would be easy to improve. I, I think... I always have faith in them and they let me down at least half the time. It's quite sad, but I'm always an optimist. But it's funny because you're you're I th- I think you're raising a perfectly fair point because you're not you're not criti- you're not criticizing to the point where it's like oh I don't like this for blah, 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 blah. it's like no there is a very practical way of sorting this issue if time was the problem to begin with 
then okay, we we can we can fix this. We know how. Surely the creative team involved are so passionate and have that, pride. Yeah, and and again, pride because every and you would know this better than I was. Everything you see on screen is your signature. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, like it's if, like I'm, I, you know, knowing how much was messed around in season one of Discovery, I can't imagine those writers are proud of the, that season who worked on it. They must, they, they, they know what went on. They're probably proud of the fact they got something out, but I can't imagine they're proud of what was created. I can't imagine the makeup people are proud of how Klingons looked beyond the, it's a good looking makeup. I would be shocked if they were genuinely proud, but it was a necessity and it was a budget. Now, there's reasons beyond who's going to move on in your life, but I wouldn't be proud of season one Discovery if I wrote on season one Discovery. Season three, yes. But season one, I would be move on my life, you know. Do you know what I think is is interesting? Um, in if you look at say season one, and I think season two was was a big step up, and as you say, yeah, it's season three. I think they've kind of hit their stride. It's By doing a very a third reboot. Yeah. It, it, oh my god, it it completely is. Um, it's a very similar trajectory to Next Generation. Season one, I I appreciate it for what it is. Season two has measure of a man so it gets love from me um but then season three is where i think the tng that we all know and love really began and uh have you seen the documentary i presume you have chaos on the bridge Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so again now that we kind of know mike how did they get anything done yeah, I mean, the, the tell documentaries on Discovery Season 1 are going to be so fascinating. I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 this stuff's being hidden. I mean, you know, even the, uh, like, Phantom Menace Blu-rays or d- with the behind the scenes of, like, George Lucas saying, yeah, it's fine, just do it, you know. Like, th- moments that newer stuff, they sort of streamline and, and, and hide. But that's that's the gold you need to know because that can give context. So I, I'm hopefully that stuff will come out. I always refer to um, when people say, well, in interviews... They all the actors and producers say they love the show or, or the common trope of well I watched Star Trek when I was a kid it's like no you're being told to say that by PR department always say that in every interview because it's good even though we know it varies and are you telling the truth eh, whatever but I, I always refer back to a Marina Sirtis interview Marina who played Diana Troy for generations saying I think it's our best film yet I really do and gone about is for just one of those m- many press tours and it's a really glowing endorsement of the film and then cut to hard cut. To an inter- to a commentary she did in um in England in like 2011, she says, "Oh, it's our worst one, wasn't it? It was awful." And they had new filming, like she was blunt, and it's like, yeah, because the PR is telling her to be promotional. So until time passes, they can't they can be honest, and that season one's going to be ripped to shreds, I'm I'm sure. Um, but there's some there's some stuff there, obviously, but uh, it's a shame. That's why I just say ignore season one, just completely ignore it. It's not worth you know watching really, except the mirror stuff. Now the season three's improved season one, which I appreciate. Yeah, um, and it's, it's good fun. Yeah, I like it. and it's funny how sometimes uh, in, in many different properties that a later episode or story can yes. retroactively improve or mm-hmm. add greater depth, say, to something that potentially didn't really work first time round. Mm-hmm. Well, and you mentioned TNG. I always find that uh, it's a certain. It's a, I feel like, now you didn't go this far, but it's a cop out to say every Trek show needs two, two or three seasons to get right, because that that. That isn't a real curse. That's a each time the people in charge made mistakes for two years. They made mistakes. It wasn't a curse. Lower Decks is amazing first season. TOS is amazing first season. So it's not a curse. It's just a oops a daisy. So for me, Discovery, we know there's a bigger problems in season one. But season one is like two seasons of TNG budget. So they had to spend hundreds of millions to get to a good season three. 
that's not an excuse because TNG had a less good one and two when they spent less money, made more episodes. You know what I mean? I, I, you shouldn't be able to give every new show, yeah, please waste 130 million just to get a good season. Can you not plan a first season good? You know, Arrow, amazing first season. There's so many good first seasons. Why, you know, Alter Carbon, uh, Lost in Space, both phenomenal first seasons made around the same time as Discovery. So it's not, you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's a weird one. But at least TNG got characters right. We did a rewatch of that, and it's amazing how you can see exactly who they're going to be in their performances. They just weren't refined yet, and they get in their characters very quickly. It's just the stories are hit and miss, and the sets aren't lit well, and the, you know. But there's, there's a really good yeah. core there. You see more potential in that um, in season one of, of TNG. It's just they also have a, a broader spectrum of things to, to mess up. You know, they're 26 stories, and there's a very varying degree of quality. Um, and it's obviously episodic, so you can have varying degrees of quality. If you have a if you have a season arc and it makes no sense by the end, that uh, in, unfortunately interferes with the earlier seasons, uh, earlier episodes, which is the, it's the risk with that. That is true. I, I um, and you know what? I will I, I I will sit here and talk production for a whole night. But what I really want to get to right yes. now is I want to talk about Power Five Four Three, and I want to talk about the incredible work that you are putting out with the trek shorts talk to me boss um where do we find these how can i support you and from the beginning what and why well i made a stargate film in 2011 it's still the number one most viewed stargate fan from the world on youtube congratulations thank you in 2012 and 13 i filmed a star trek fan film which was far more ambitious than i possibly could have realized at the time i did with the cg luckily i was studying filmmaking knew how to use cameras and got good footage, thank goodness. And so by 2019, it was ready to release in a form that was so much better than I ever could have pictured. And it actually holds that quality because it was filmed well. So it's you know almost future-proof. And so that came out and that was a smash success. It went viral for fan films, 500,000 views. It's got part one, amazing. Even got a deal with CBS to release it beyond the guidelines. So amazing, went well, good, good, good. I'm the only one that got a deal of that kind. Um, we actually got—I actually got a bargain with them. You know, I'll—I'll—I'll I'll, I'll do this if you do this. And it was a very interesting, uh, very interesting uh, uh, negotiation, which shows how not evil they are. I, I hate people that that call them out. At least that division, because I actually you know, got to negotiate. <laughs> that is fantastic. And actually, Joe, I, that is something I want to ask you really quickly because I think the top level, if we, you know, let's say we go to Google Star Trek fan films, you'll get. Mm. A lot of people talking about the guidelines that came out mm-hmm. and the various lawsuits that have come up because of it. Only one. In in a very important, very important point. So, how? First of all, did you approach them? Did they approach you? Uh, um, how, how did the process work? And as much as, of course, you can talk about it. If yeah, I, yeah, I never talk about all of it, as you can imagine. But it yeah. was definitely a, it was a, definitely a heart attack moment. I was seven days from releasing it. I got an email saying, "No, you can't release it." So I released the trailer um, the, with a month with a month timer saying release on this date, and it showed off because I don't like spoilers, especially when I'm ten, trying to tell a sweet story. And the trailer was just moments from the first scene, which was showing the Enterprise E finding the temporal anomaly and our character being knocked out and waking up alone. That's the teaser. As part of the teaser, I showed the footage of uh, Picard, uh, Riker, and Troy that I cobbled together by using video clips from three movies and audio from TNG to incorporate to make a little new scene. Which is what okay. I did for my Stargate fan film. Ten years later, no complaints. 
different company, different world, etc. Um, so they contacted me saying, you've used clips. Now, they had no context of how, why, or where I was going to use them except the trailer. Okay. So they had no idea. I don't know how I could have made a, a 40-minute film with lots of Picard in, but whatever. They didn't know. They were only in 40 seconds of the start. So in the grand scheme, wouldn't have meant any any harm, but they had to put their foot in. Fine. So was this, sorry, was this, yeah. say, kind of a standard YouTube copyright claim to begin no, with? No, no, no. It was a personal email from the lawyers saying, okay. stop. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, wow. okay. Hence heart attack. And like I said, I was two days from release. Like, I was literally, I, I was nervously doing the file touches. But my, you know, Trek Yards was, was three years in or so. Um, and my, my reaction for these sorts of things is always work with it. You know, so many times people have um, lashed out on social media and that burns a bridge. The professional thing to do is the opposite. Um, and I know better. And so I emailed them straight away. And I said, Let, uh, I'm, let's have a phone call. I'm not doing this over email. <laughs> like Oops. phone call, personal touch. So I got I, I got the person that emailed me. And I could, I could tell from the tone of the email, this is important subtext, that it wasn't negative so much as lawyery. And that subtext okay. is important. Yeah. Because it just shows what, what their intentions. And so I had a, a, a good email, a phone conversation and that made it personal. Mm-hmm. And then we, you know, I won't go too much more into that, but we had a back and forth um, and we, uh, I got my own deal. Yeah. My, my own temper on my deal. And then... Um, since then, no one's been approached. I was the last person that got approached by CBS, <laughs> and I got a deal. And that was two and a half years ago. Uh, there's been dozens of fan films since, all of which that have gone very much for some guidelines, very much not some guidelines, because as CBS is the most keen to see of all the people out there, guidelines, not rules. Because the stipulation is, even if you follow them all to the letter, we can still sue you. That at the end of discussion. So it does not matter what you do and don't follow. We still can. And so at that point, it's about intention behind the filmmakers and uh, and and how much you raise, which is not a lot these days because you can't get Star Trek actors, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. That, that was the big draw of getting Koenig and and Nick, Michelle Nichols and Tim Russ. But I, I think we're, we've been in a couple of years in the gold in the in the in the second age of fan films where everyone's mid budget. You know, and they it's real filmmakers leading the charge, which means we bring our own kit, our own knowledge, our own lighting, bring in actors that are either are you know paid a, a simple day rate, you know, the the minimum needed, which is not like a profit based thing, it's just to get them on set, or their fans. Obviously, you see the difference in quality between the two. It's pretty obvious who course, who's yeah. which, and then you try and work out deals with people and try and keep things in in very small budget. But there's been some phenomenal fan films in the last two three years, and that's amazing. And CBS has let literally probably 120 go um of varying degrees of quality and they're thriving as a community and so trek shorts was a direct result of the pandemic um pandemic stopped me from filming my 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 second big fan film convergence which was meant to be the whole selling point was we're going to get famous star trek fan film alumni all to england and film together in the same room no 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 green screen each other no, no, same studio, same real acting connection, which totally ups the game. And we had a first shoot. It was incredible. Really great vibe, really great vibe. And we booked in for August 22nd, 2020. Oh. We were all set. We were all set. And then in February, we we started getting messages from ourselves saying, you know, this virus thing might maybe delay us. Maybe, maybe we'll delay us. Let's, let's not book flights just yet. And it, given the gimmick is everyone in the same room and we've got four countries... It just just got paused, didn't it? And I'll pause my rant there just so you have some time to to respond. But that was that was a bit of a bit of a bit of a downer. But you know, 
a lot, oh. a lot of things were downed in 2020 so of 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 course i mean like it's 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 almost eh. I don't want to say funny, but in a way, like we are having this talk over Zoom. It has become the done thing for a lot of people to talk remotely that it is such a novelty. The idea now of, no, 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 they're, they're actually like when he is touching that person's arm, he is actually touching that person's arm. This is not, you know, someone in a morph suit, you know, um, that has become so. Uh, well, obviously, fingers crossed, touch wood, that will go ahead either potentially late 2021 or probably 2022 at this stage or is that is that just indefinitely we'll get no to no it? no no we indiegogo did we got our funds that money's still in the bank except oh, what's spent on the cameras and the costumes etc um and we and i said we were ready we will go we were, we were literally about two weeks from booking flights so thank thank goodness we didn't mm. um and in the pandemic obviously that shut everything down luckily and i feel blessed that productions had come to me with a pre-raised budget so i had work coming in for things pretty much throughout the year and of stuff that was built up and it actually a feature film came to me and I worked for six and a half months non-stop on that oh wow which was yeah 97 visual effects shots several digital backgrounds and a lot of um, concept work to, to build and create alien designs etc and that was a that was a woof my god but we made it we made it um, and, at, and at a certain point um, in October last year I just I got this itch again because I've been doing stuff for other people, and I and also we've been locked in our homes for you know months and months. I just I need to make something. You know, convergence is coming on a, a two year, uh, uh, you know, wait since the two years since we announced it for real legitimate reasons, not produced. I thought let's just make a short to give to the fans for free, to get to do something, um, and have a bit of fun. And and we did. It's called Long Way From Home. Uh, I think it turned out really well considering it's got twenty five thousand views as of recording, which is absolutely fantastic. Fan films get pretty medium negative, positive negative comments in the comments, and I'm oh, blown away by the positivities. It's absolutely, you know, really, um, you know, seven months work, and it's like that is such a nice reaction. Unfortunately, that that got me back on the <laughs> back on the uh, the old fan film trip, and so I was like, no, we're making more. We're gonna make something more, and so I, I had ten bloody short ideas, and I picked the best five. Got everyone signed up, started building Indiegogo, launched it, and it's currently going to make five new short films. And if we raise beyond the budget, I have more, like, shorter short films that I absolutely want to do with the cast, with different costumes, with different eras. Um, I've got the home studio, I've got the cameras, I've been investing for two years on this stuff, so Convergence will be filmed easier. I just want to tell these stories, and there's so many cool things I want to tell, but we just need the Indiegogo funds, because costumes cost money, travel costs money, these are fundamental costs, and, you know... They're cool stories. <laughs> well, I mean, personally, I will be donating to the Indiegogo. Aww. I will be pushing the link as much as I can because I think at the end of the day, it's a passion project by people with a passion for certainly the source material mm. and you have, you know, you, you are a talented writer. It's... Oh, thank you. Well, th thank you for not being terrible. Um, yeah! You know... <laughs> Like I really like this. This could have been so awkward, you know. It's like, oh, listen, I wish you luck with that thing. Yeah, it's, it's all great, but the writing, though. Yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, yeah. You've got some really good actors, and uh, you know, when you get a good script, and, no, and no. you know, weird English accents. You see, where, where's the Scottish accents? Why are you talking Scottish? Come on, you know, I haven't got an accent. You, you've all got accents. <laughs> that that trope I get all the time from Americans. Um, oh, yeah. 
look um, <laughs> ah, well, it's, it's, and you know what you're looking fairness to them they've heard the one accent for so long through the entire franchise yes. it's, it must be a bit jarred to hang yeah. on a second why are they all Patrick Stewart or why are they all why are they all know? LA accent <laughs> um, and so as of uh, as of now so kind of what in your head what's the yeah. kind of time now I realise how long is a piece of string when it comes to Indiegogo but what's the kind of timeline you're thinking is it just one at a time or we will wait for ah. the entire budget to be raised we will do the five and release them great question uh, well we're currently at 42% with, oh fantastic with uh, 17 days to go so that's 13 down 17 to go which is which is, which is great yeah. you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like in my heart of hearts I hoped we were going to get a lot more a lot quicker because I've done 30 odd fan films I've done track yards you would, and this is five shorts for the price of one that people tend to raise money for we'll see by the end whatever um I've already filmed most of one more. We filmed. We Great. tried to. We tried to film a different, uh, a short, three yesterday, but one of the actors got COVID. Uh, <gasps> asymptomatic, but we did tests because we were trying to be good. So she's absolutely fine, but that cancelled. I got an eight thirty call saying I can't make it. Now the studio set up and everything's ready to go, and we had this hard choice of, well, we were going to film some teasers as well, trying to create some visual content during the Indiegogo. And that sucks. Um, okay, man actor, are you available to maybe film next week or week after? He's like, oh, not till the end of June. I'm like, oh, God. Okay, come anyway today. We'll make something. We'll do something. Because it's either something or nothing. Yeah. Despite, you know, I already had budget set aside for him to come down. So that's that's been spent. But we must do something. I ended up doing um, a brand new short. A micro short. But it's like I had an hour to write something more meaningful than two one-page teasers. So I wrote him a four-page short that he did excellent with. I threw at him on the day. He learned other, well, learned as we were doing it, and he's actually rather good at it. Um, it's a little character piece, uh, and so everyone's gonna get a bonus, a bonus micro short. And this is the, well, it'll be out by the time it comes out, I'm sure. But yeah, bonus, bonus micro short, just because I could and I wanted to release something to kind of get people like, we, we can do this, guys. Just help us make the big things. That is, that is, first of all, that is incredibly. Um positive and productive use of what could have been a disaster so that's fantastic yeah. um in in a way it's like a micro version of how you have treated the pandemic with getting your love of the trek shorts back <laughs> back again yeah. yeah oh goodness um but it, you know in terms of the the five shorts or the page what, what stood out to you as a trek fan then because i they're all so different they're all designed to be something to grab people what, what grabs you as a as interesting i think well story is is always number one for me um and because and this is no aspersions whatsoever to any any single actor out there you can forgive sometimes wooden or actually if the story is good enough and i will direct that toward tng i will direct it toward toward the, the main franchise itself um now be, because it's you i'm i'm looking forward to some nice visuals i will <laughs> say that um but I, I do not think that i will be disappointed there uh, he, he says you're just like great yeah okay won't be winging this one um, gently nodding gently nodding yeah, yeah. Um, and well, they would be my big two so but I mean I mean, for the ones that the stories I'm pitching though do any of the five say to you ooh that's exciting for me personally I well I mean the visual of the Enterprise-E in front of the Doomsday Machine is just like oh my god yes but the idea of a Star Trek Stargate crossover, I think that has awakened the the fanboy in me. So, uh, I, but I, but I, I, are, are these actually are these episodic? These shorts or are these standalone? 
so that's the great thing. The guidelines do stipulate no recurring characters. Except oh. everyone uses recurring characters because every single fan film is a fan film series because they want to use... You know, developing characters is part of the fun. I take the hybrid approach where these are all different stories with some of the same characters, but they're all distinctly different parts of their own personal timelines. There is no sequel to anything except a once you once I make all five, you'll be able to be like, oh, let's watch it in, in the character's time order. Okay. And you should hopefully feel consistent growth. And that was one of the big things for bringing Nimran back from Temporal Anomaly and, and Convergence, who's the um, uh, the Indian lady with the, the, the nemesis costume. She is... Uh, and really trying to make a unique character and, and give her a character journey. She's an aspiring actress and never actually done a full character journey before. And so a lot of these shorts are about challenging her. Seeing what... Because I know she can do a lot. I see a lot of potential. And... And, you know, I don't have to act very much in them. I try to act not a lot. I'm just more of a body to be there to say something to help her. But give her some really cool, cool meat to do. And, um, and I mean, I, each one's just a cool visual. You know, Doomsday Machine versus E. I've done a lot of stuff already. That one was the one we are going to shoot yesterday. And that is such a fun little... I mean, they're not little. They're, they're quite long. It's about the same length as Along From Home. But they are, like, hopefully what you'd want to see. Because I try and make everything feel in canon feel thought through there's techno babble but it's logical there's stakes and there's pace and there's weight um even though they are short and they've therefore you can't have you know sorry too many twists but you can have a, a, a fulfilling story and that one is definitely one um seeing those two behemoths fight is 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 fun and the stargate one yeah, i'm a big fan of stargate and i knew that i wanted to do something because it's the 10 year anniversary of my stargate fan film next year i just wanted to test the waters and make a short this year See if there's interest in doing something bigger next year. And I've got all the costumes ready for Stargate, so that's going to be fun. And we'll see on screen together a Stargate SG-1 character talking to a TOS character and a Stargate Universe character who's an Atlantis costume talking to a First Contact character. Phases and P90s abound. <laughs> yes, yes to all of that. Oh, what, they w- what they could have done with a couple of P90s during First Contact. You know. D- yes. Yes, yes, yes. And there is, there's a lovely joke in it where each side makes fun and then appreciates each other's weaponry because they each have their own merits and situations. And I've made a very clear distinction. Because, um, yeah, you're right, guns are actually quite useful compared to, to phases, etc. Uh, it, it, it's meta-understanding of the universes and where just the pure... Seeing them together creates a scenario that you can pull sort of humour, but it's just pure, this is how they'd react. But if you understand how the con- context is, you can form a fun vibe just from that. And, I, and now you see why I'm so eager to get it funded, because it isn't just help me tell one story. This, these are things I think people, if enough people saw the campaign, would really want to see. You know, in short, in short 4, which is the, um, uh, the Norway one, we see, the, we see TNG Tholians. That's, I, I want to see TNG Tholians. And I want people to see that. So help me make it. And, and short 2, we, we walk through DS... The, the DS9 Defiant and I've built or my team's built like five of the different sets and we're literally going to walk through the sets no one has done the fan film ever and I want to do that for people because it's going to be like literally a walking home or walking back home and that to me is really important because I want to see it I think you guys want to see it and for it to feel fan film yes but but you can forget it's a fan film at some point you know well that, like you just phrased it beautifully there it's the idea of coming home. I mean, DS Nine's been off the mm-hmm. year, uh, been off the year, been off the air for more than two decades now. Yep. I I want to visit the Defiant again. You know, I want to see. That was the idea. Um, and, yeah. If you can make that happen, 
I mean, I'll bring in another franchise Futurama. Shut up and take my money. And then, and then uh, we'll say, screw that short and do a better one with blackjacks and hookers and be even better. Uh, <laughs> I double down, I double down. And, and, and again, these are all sort of testing the water because I've got other short ideas. You know, I've got, uh, I've got a short idea, which is a more micro. These are the biggest five on purpose. They're bigger concepts. There's one short idea where it is just a conversation on DS9 in the promenade. But actually seeing a fully 3D promenade would well lit, you've seen the interiors, you know, there's something there that you don't see in fan films that I, I want to be able to make. And, and part of this budget is kind of getting the team to build other stuff. But boy, I do need the money. And I, I really hope we get it. Um, like I said, I've got 10, 10 in the buffer. Uh, I want to make them. <laughs> I, want, I want you to make them. So to everyone who is listening, uh, the link will be in the description of this episode. Um, if there's anything at all that you can donate, please, please do. Um, because... At the end of the day, we just want to see more Star Trek, you know. Um, and, it, and it's certainly more classic feeling Star Trek. Not TOS, but this isn't of the darker Discovery vibe. It isn't of the um, futuristic, as in very far forward flung mm. Picard. And it isn't of Strange Worlds. This is very much the eras you know and love, with the art designs you know and love, but in a bit more modernised way. So it is like looking back, but it's still the future. You know, even though it's our past, it's still their future. And so you can still have that vibe you know we have a new we have the horizon in them we have the norway you know we see the brit there's things you haven't really seen before or got to experience that isn't just a galaxy class uh yeah. ts connie there's stuff here that that you're adding to um and i'm I, you know in in, uh, in short three we see the type 11 shuttle which was in um an insurrection if you remember the, the yes. data chase shuttles yes. and i think currently in my cgi i've got about 11 times the screen time that i had in, in insurrection so i've got so if you love that shuttle <laughs> There's a lot of it. <laughs> For that alone, I'm I'm sold. Like, well, exactly. Um, and and having done a lot of uh, a lot of CG for a lot of fan films, short three, which is one I was working on, as I said, um, I was meant to be doing yesterday. I've got about double the amount of shots from that most fan films ever get in terms of CG, just on that one, just on that one. So it's pretty elaborate, and it will feel full, full of goodies. I, you have. Teased me, teased us all. I think sufficiently. Um, oh. Obviously, a long way from home. That's that is available for digest now, isn't it? We can. Yes. Great. So I will be putting that the link to that into the description of this episode as well. Um, like, as I say, it's your your work is your signature, and uh, it's quite a nice signature. I always caveat. You know, I'm I'm no professional. In, in, in the real legitimate sense of the word of, of that high end and you know you can look to any real TV film you know I, I may be a big fish in a small pond but I'm happy with what I can bring um, it's still of a, a you know like you said I, I absolutely agree with you story comes first and it's been about me learning over the six seven eight years how to do the digital but the storytelling always comes first and then you try and try and make that as good as possible with the visuals now I can kind of get to a certain level uh, one, of my, one of my tricks for green screen that I I Fan films have kind of moved away from green screen in the last decade. They used to be more in the olden days. And often it was a flat, two-shot, three-shot, blank wall, and then a background. But it feels what it is. A green screen background flat. You tell a story through the shots you choose. The, the camera work is a part of the story. Very, very much is. I'm a camera... I like camera work, so I see that stuff. And fan films, without any sense of camera work, is just two-shot. I'm doing stuff with my arms. You know, two-shot, these two people... Maybe a close-up if you're lucky. 
and then you're, you're staying statically on two shot for a minute and a half. There's no story there. But if you watch Temporal Anomaly, my, my first big film, I was changing camera angles everywhere you needed to. And so, therefore, the backgrounds changed everywhere you needed to. And the focal lengths changed, the depth of field changed. You're now telling a story through the sets where it isn't on green screen. You're telling that story visually and through the story and then through the space effects. So hopefully if it all comes together, you just get to enjoy a little bit of a, a window in Star Trek. Um, yes, <laughs> yes, please. Like, you know, this, it sounds incredible. It sounds like, it sounds like you absolutely know what you're doing and you have the the kind of the burning passion behind it that yes there will be some there will be some late nights there will be pots of coffee mm-hmm. a go go mm-hmm. but you know it sounds like there's a a pretty pretty steady pair of hands on the uh, on the helm there apart from the caffeine jitters as you as you alluded to oh yeah well that's a, after a while that's just like you know what's a stock shake number 3 grand we're still fine we're still getting through this um sam uh, I, I, well, I do remember briefly, you did ask about release schedule, I think you... Yes! That. I'm going to try for two this year, because they're all designed around pandemic conditions, so unless we go into an even worse lockdown, not sure how that's possible, um, they should all be filmable this year, and, and they're all short enough, and I'm trying to be clever. So two this year is my hope, possibly three, we'll see, and definitely the other two next year. But, you know, I may be, you know, I may be even maybe lucky and get them done even quicker. I've been working for seven months for backgrounds and to get stuff built because it takes months to build stuff. So if you start months early, you're done early. So or at least on time. So yeah, hopefully two this year. Well, that is that is great. I I wish you all of the luck and also I will Thank be checking you. back in weekly to see how you're getting on because come on, I'm I'm waiting for it now. I want to see it. I want to see it. I have some great behind the scenes pictures from yesterday's shoot. You're gonna love them. Yes, yes, please. <laughs> yes, please. Um, and uh, I know what you said. She's asymptomatic, but a very speedy recovery to yes. uh, to your actor who has contracted COVID. Yeah. Um, None of her family, though. There's an eight-person house. Just her. I mean, listen, we've all pulled a sickie, so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> she was the star. It's like saying Tom Cruise didn't want to come to her shoes. Oh, <laughs> It's possible, I guess. Um, Not at all. No, I'm sure she is suffering horribly. Um, and we wish her a very speedy recovery. God's sake. Right, on that note, Sam, thank you so much for your time this evening. Oh, thanks for being invited. Um, just, oh, my absolute pleasure. I'm l- lucky to have you. Um, I will be plugging uh, your Indiegogo. I will put links to A Long Way From Home as well. Um, I'm sure... Most people listening already know this information, but where can people find you online? Trackyards. That's the easiest portal. Uh, my personal Facebook is actually my personal Facebook. Um, I take pride in that. So if you're a friend on Facebook, you're actually a friend on life, you know. So Trackyards at hotmail.com is an easy way to get in contact with the channel or our YouTube channel. We read the comments um, or my Twitter. I have an easy way of, of Samuel Crockins and it's my face as the... As the picture, so I should be easy to find. I'm very easily Googleable as Samuel Cockins. Very easily Googleable. I've, I've done a lot on Google, apparently. <laughs> Great. And Google, we thank you for it. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, well, you're an absolute gentleman. Thank you so oh, much for your you. time. And I hope to have you back. Thank you. And that's everything for this week, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. Whether you think we're mad for what we said, or stunning, or wonderful, or frankly, on crack, let us know. Please consider following the podcast on the podcast catcher of your choice. If you want to get in touch, you can follow me on Twitter at Sean Ferrick. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you can. Every word goes a long way. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on Patreon forward slash Sean Ferrick. For the same price as a coffee a month, you can get exclusive access to episodes before they air, along with creative input on the episodes we produce. We'll be back next week for another episode of You're On Crackmate. I've been Sean, and you've been awesome.